Good morning, Faith. Christian life is about surrender. And uh, those songs are a very beautiful reminder of the everyday life that followers of Jesus Christ live a life of daily surrender, a surrender of the mind, yeah? A surrender of the will. And then when you surrender your mind and you surrender your will daily, your actions begin to follow. They do. And it's not easy sometimes. There's a passage in the book of Genesis with a man named Cain. You remember Cain, right? Remember what God said to, to Cain, that sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. It's not just in your behavior, it's in your mind. It's in your mind. And so when you hear the, the hymn and the songs that you just uh, heard up here, I surrender all, that's literally what it means. You're surrendering your will to someone who is far more powerful than you, surrendering your will to someone who is able to strengthen you as you surrender everything to and that's not just for you, that's, just, that's also for, for me as well, it's for every pastor, every born, bought, redeemed from the marketplace of sin, the surrender of everything. I would invite you to turn with me to Second Peter chapter 2, verses, we're going to be looking at uh, just a couple of verses, well, more than that, Really? Uh, verses 10 through 16. And if you don't have a Bible, you can turn to page 184 of the hard copy under your seats. Um, we're coming to the home stretch of our annual series of hope for everyday life. <clears throat> and this fall, before our stewardship emphasis, we're just Studying the book of Second Peter with the theme of just growing in grace and knowledge. I'm not sure if this is the, the right PowerPoint, by the way. Just as an FYI. Just thought I'd tell you. You know? Even, the, even our fingers have to surrender. <laughs> All right? And so we're uh, considering the characteristics of false teachers. Is this what it is? Hey, hope for everyday life, growing in grace. And so this is what we're looking at, growing in, in grace and knowledge. Take it from the last verse of Second Peter, uh, chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, it says, But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, not too long ago, I had said that uh, Peter had good reason for writing the things that he did. And the reason we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our 
Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, i.e. what we see in the scriptures, is so that you and I are not uh, duped by false teachers coming into the church under the radar and bringing with them a kind of false teaching that not is just contrary to the teachings of Christ and his word, but it was destructive to the Christian faith that you and I hold dear. And it was destructive because it depreciated the person of Jesus Christ. And when Christ is depreciated, the less demand that he has upon my thinking, the less demand that he has upon my life, the less demand he has upon everything. You don't want to surrender all when you depreciate Christ, yes? And with reference to life and conduct, I'm referring to the way that we live and move and have our being in him. In contrast to what these false teachers were saying and doing that ultimately appealed to their own sinful desires, their own impulses. And it was a kind of false teaching that's destructive. It's destructive to the way of life and living of others who would embrace their brand of teaching that encouraged a lifestyle of immorality and licentiousness. And so in 2 Peter, in his letter to the church, he said in verse 17 of chapter 2, he said, or chapter 3 rather, he said to be on guard. Be on guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall away from your own steadfastness. In other words, that idea of what is unprincipled is that these kinds of people were unrestrained. That's what it means. They were unrestrained in their conduct. They were unrestrained in their impulses. They were unrestrained in their lawlessness. They were, that's what a false teacher is. They're religious per se, right? But what they teach promotes ungodliness in their living. I mean, they may say that Jesus is Lord, but what they profess with their mouth never came alive in their living. What they really have is a dead faith. And understand that this is why this is so very important, because they denied the lordship of Jesus Christ over their life. And they, because they denied that Jesus was coming back again, they promoted a false teaching that espouse what is a non-lordship view. Meaning that Christ, he really isn't coming back. So because he really isn't coming back, you can live however way you want to live. You can believe in Jesus. He's not coming back. But you can live however way you want to live. Indulge your flesh. Do what you want to do. Say what you want to say. Live how you want to live. 
dance how you want to dance, right? I mean, it's a bit of a a head-scratcher, right? And wouldn't you say, at least for those who are trying to strive toward a growing life of sanctification through the knowledge of the Scriptures, I mean, they would say that looking at that kind of thing and the fact that Jesus isn't coming back and you can do whatever you want, those in the church would see that and they would look at that as, that's absolutely horrendous. How in the world can you get past How in the world can that kind of teaching get past the radar? It does. It does. And as passing fancy as this teaching was, I mean, it was pleasant to so many because of how appealing it was, perhaps not to us, but it was to many, believe it or not. Even still, Peter warned us that this would happen. He warned us that this this time would come. It happened in his day. It's happening in our day. He said, this now, beloved, this is the second letter I am writing to you in Second Peter verse, well, chapter 3, verse, verses 1 through 4. He says, this is now, beloved, the second letter. I'm writing the second letter to you because I want to stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. And he says, know this first of all. He says, get this. I need you to understand something that you already know. In the last days, mockers will come. Mockers will come with their mocking. Following after their own lust, they will mock, and they'll follow after their own lust. And they're going to say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. Wow. (laughs) You know, the seriousness of this destructiveness is being secretly introduced by these uh, false teachers is not an understatement by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, look, we're, we're talking about the kind of destructive heresy. And I'm serious when I say this. We're talking about the kind of destructiveness that is damning. It's damning. It sends people to hell. That's how serious it is. That's how serious it is. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Let me just start by reading that. You know, in fact, let me just go ahead and just start off with verse 9. Verse 9, chapter 2, 2 Peter 9 through 16. It says this. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. Oh, yes, he does. <laughs> and to keep unrighteous, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they don't tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Like, what in the world does that mean? Where is angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling, a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these like unreasonable, unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. <laughs> Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count on a pleasure to revel in the daytime. Their strains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Having eyes 
full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, they're accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. Wow. <laughs> Those are powerful words. Sobering. I hope that it's a sobering thing for me and for you. Because at the end of the day, we're all men and women, right? Of the faith, once and for all, delivered to the saints. Redeemed from the marketplace of sin. Capable of uh, deception. And so before we look at this word, let's just go ahead and pray. Lord, Lord of heaven. Lord, we are so susceptible, but we know that we need you. Oh, God, we need you. So please help us today understand what your word says. May it rest soberly upon our hearts and help us to renew our mind to what you've called us to do and what to stand for, both privately and in public. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. So in considering the character of false teachers, it would behoove us to look at three truths to understand regarding the old man of sin that can be manifested in false teachers and at the same time helpful to us as we wrestle with sin, as we wrestle with sin. You know, Peter, or Paul rather, uh, was speaking to young pastor Timothy, who too was also struggling with his own uh, maturity and growing in the faith, just like we all of us. He says this, he says, he says to this pastor, he says, look, pay attention. Pay attention, pay, pay close attention. Don't just pay attention, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you, and for those who hear you. In other words, perseverance in the truth accompanies the redeemed a genuineness of their salvation, rather, and those who live in conduct to the faith. But the old man of sin has a specific nature. The old man of sin has a specific nature. You know, we can't run from the clothes we're wearing, right? We are in this flesh, right? I can, I can run as far as I want to. But you know what? My flesh comes with me. I can go wherever I go. And the old, man has, the old man of sin has a specific nature. And these false teachers, they couldn't restrain their passions. They couldn't restrain their passions. And it's one thing if you, if you could, but I mean, at least from the text of what I'm reading here, there is no sense, there's no sense whatsoever that these men could even, couldn't even restrain anything. They couldn't restrain themselves. They had a particular way of seeing, having eyes full of, of adultery. They never cease from sin. They never cease from sins. It means to be thoroughly characterized by something. You see that? To be thoroughly characterized in whole by something. Peter's saying that these false teachers who have 
entered into the church have become, they, they become so unrestrained in their mind. They've, been, they've become characterized by that. They're thoroughly characterized by that. Unrestrained in their mind, so unrestrained in their conduct that they can't even look at a woman without seeing them as some potential target. I mean, that was their M.O. That was their M.O. This is what they lived for. That was their lifestyle. There's a well-known LGBT false teacher online who believes that Jesus is Lord. He would say, just like you and I, you know, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God in the flesh. God incarnate in the flesh. Yet he encourages a lifestyle of debauchery in real time, folks. This is really happening. This man has a huge following. It's huge, huge following. The the guy has a silver tongue. He recently debated a Christian apologist, Jeff Durbin. You can look it up. You can watch the debate for yourself. But what the thing is so amazing, when you watch this debate, the thing that is so stand out is how this false teacher just, I mean, blatantly twists Scripture, clear texts about doctrine, about life, about godliness, and he somehow finds a way to turn it into licentiousness. It's unbelievable. And it's, you know what? It is, for many, very convincing. Very convincing. And he does this to his own eternal destruction. And the frightening reality of of this is the fact that so many believe what he professes. It's just unbelievable how many people believe this. He's in, he's in fact quite, you know, he was at one point in time, he was in fact quite orthodox. But at some point, sin crept in and it overtook him. And then the, the question that we ought to ask ourselves is whether or not this describes any of us in whole or in part, right? Because if we face the music of our theology, we rightly understand that we're still incarcerated in our fallen flesh, and prone to the kind of false teaching that has the potential to bring about its corrupting influence in our lives. And when it creeps in, we are drawn away, what, by our own lust and enticed. If I am drawn away, it's because of me. Because I have somehow, in some way, deceived myself into thinking that what I am thinking in my mind is somehow right. And then my behavior follows that kind of thinking that somehow, in my twisted imagination... Somehow, my thinking becomes right, and it's so false. It's so false. You know, in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, he was writing to a church that was, by all accounts, mature in their faith and excelling still in the things that they've been taught, knowing they were, they were, so, they were so keen on growing and living out their, their knowing uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, so confident was Paul, aware of these believers' maturity, such that he told these believers that they were, they were to be um, uh, filled with all knowledge. Filled, completely filled. Be, you are full of goodness. Filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. You know, when you're full of goodness, when you're filled with, with knowledge, what is the product of that? You're able to help another brother or, or sister who's uh, in Christ who's... who's stumble, and you're able to admonish one another, you know, quietly, behind the scenes, or perhaps even publicly. 
This, is, this, is, this was the Roman church. This is what Paul was talking about. You're, this is what you're filled with. You're filled with goodness, with knowledge, able to admonish one another. Mestos in the Greek, that idea of filling. It refers to a person, guess what? It refers to a person's mind. It refers to a person's mind being, being filled with thoughts and emotions, whether they're good emotions or whether they're bad. And so in the case of these believers at Rome, their minds were, were, were full of what? <laughs> Goodness. Goodness. Full of right things. That comes with being a follower of Christ with a new spiritual nature. The new man is being described for us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. You know, the book of James describes what wisdom from above looks like, and he contrasts that to those who don't even have it at all. You know, to the believer, he said, in particular, in James chapter 3, verse 17, he says, you know, the wisdom that you have, the wisdom is from above. It's pure. It's, it's peaceable. It's peaceable. Gentle, reasonable. It's what? Then you see that mestos again, right? It's full of what? <laughs> it's full of mercy. Full of mercy and good fruits. Unwavering. Without hypocrisy. Mestos. Same Greek word. <laughs> Same Greek word. You can also translate that word compassion. It's compassion. James has in mind a person who's full of compassion. You know, these, people, these are the kinds of people who show a, a, a very deep concern for those who suffer in pain and hardship. These people also have the ability to, to forgive very quickly when they're wronged. Why? Well, all they got to do is just look at their character. Look at what they're filled with. They're filled to the brim with what? Mercy. Compassion. In Matthew 6, our Lord illustrates for us a way of seeing. A way of seeing. And I think, I, I think I've referenced this to you all before. I think it bears repeating again. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness. Oh, how great is that darkness. How great is that darkness. What trajectory are you headed in toward where are you going? Because all of us in this room have the capacity... To desire something. Yes and amen? It's true. If you believe in a biblical anthropology, you can say yes to that even if it hurts. <laughs> what we desire follows a particular course, whether it's good or whether it's bad. But the point I just want to try to, I want you and myself to understand that these false teachers walk after the flesh. They are on a particular course. There's no sense of stopping them. They're unrestrained and they're not walking after the Spirit. They teach what they teach in order to satisfy their own selfish course of action. They teach false teaching in order to satisfy a particular course of action. They want nothing to do with the Lordship of Christ over their lives and the demand that it is to die to self. They don't want to die 
to themselves. They don't want to die to their own wants. They don't want to die to their own passions. They don't want to die to their needs. They don't want to die to their own rule of life. They want nothing to do with Jesus' words of self-denial, of taking up the cross and following him because that would mean lordship over their lives. And they don't want anything to do with that. Surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ over your life is really, in effect, is a sort of a, it's a white flag of surrender to our passions at the feet of the king. And man, that is always not easy. <laughs> it's always not easy. Some days it is hard. <laughs> right? Some days it is so hard. It's a way of loving. These false teachers had a way of loving, indulging the flesh in its corrupt desires, they count it a pleasure. They like what they do. That's what they're saying. That's what the author is saying. They like what they do. They love the wages of unrighteousness. They really love what they do. They love what they do. By the way, that word for indulge means to follow after something. It means to follow after something. Let me give you an example. When Jesus said to his disciples to follow him, I mean, he meant what he said, right? He meant what he said. Leave all other loves and follow after me. Leave all other loves and follow after me. And so when Peter refers to the indulging the flesh in its corrupt desires, he has in mind a particular trajectory which takes that person into deeper darkness. What is your orientation? You can put it that way in application, right? What is my orientation? What is your orientation? Whether in private or in public. Whether in private or in public. What is your orientation? Peter said these false teachers had a particular bent. They had, they, they had their hearts trained in greed. They had, they had a particular way of living. A particular course. A way of living. They had a heart trained in Greed. By the way, false teachers are liars through and through. They're liars. All they do is they layer lie upon lie, lie upon lie, lie upon lie. That's what they live for. They live for popularity, attention. They live for recognition. They live for a following. They live for large churches. They live for success. They live for money. They live for promotion. They live for gifts. They live for livelihood, they live for security, they live for position, they live for leadership, they live for fame, for fame rather, they live for possessions. I mean, it's not that those things are bad necessarily in and, of them, in and of themselves, it's the love of these things in and of itself that is bad. It's the love of these things in and of itself that is bad that you will do just about anything to get those things. You will do anything to get those things. And I'm telling you, if that is your course of action, you will ultimately train yourself to get those things. You will train yourself to get the things that you want. You will train yourself in greed. So where is your orientation going? Where is your orientation taking you? Assuming that you don't wish for it to stop. Assuming that you don't wish for it to stop. And unless we forget the dispositions of our own hearts, that's why growth and grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, produces something so very holy and so very different. New eyes full of seeing differently, loving differently, living differently. 
No, I mean, this growth may progressively differ from person to person. I get that. My, my life and your life, for some, their growth is considerably fast, while other growth is considerably slow. But it's an upward growth nonetheless, not any growth at all, right? I mean, if growth is flatlined, if growth is flatlined, well, I mean, what, what are we going to say to these things, right? It's a dead faith. It's a dead faith. It's a dead faith, as Paul said to Timothy, there are those in the church who are always learning, always learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Always learning, always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. I like what, what um, Michael Wilcox said. He said this, he said, that in the life of God's people will be seen, first of all, a remarkable reversal of values. They, God's people, will prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world thinks desirable. Wow. So what's, what is your orientation? What is my orientation? And so for the Christian, like you and me, I, again, look, I, I want to emphasize this. As heavy as this sermon is to my heart and your heart, for the Christian, our walk is, is progressive, Right? It's progressive. It's progressive sanctification. Not perfect. It's not the perfection of your life. It's the direction of your life. And then you have the, another truth when considering the character of false teachers pertains to the old man or the unregenerate man is, is that the old man, the old man of sin has specific summary characteristics. Specific summary characteristics. Meaning, they are deceived. They are deceived. They are reviling in their deceptions. They revile in their deceptions. In other words, false teachers, these false teachers have now come to to full fruition because they are now parading their deception in view of the public as they carouse with you. And so here you have this YouTube person, this individual, who is just completely parading it in front of it all. And he's so particularly deceptive unrestrained in his teaching, unrestrained with his lifestyle, yet somehow he is very keen in deceiving many. They openly participate in their sinful sexual pleasures and social affairs and drunkenness while justifying their madness with Scripture. And to put it simply, the message they preach and their conduct bears no resemblance or semblance of separation from the world, the flesh, and the devil. It bears little to to no semblance of separation from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I mean, as as Paul described in the book of Philippians, he said, For many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. What a fascinating passage, right? Completely fascinating. In other words, Paul was aware of the many who walk. And the implication being, they had professed faith in Christ alone, by faith alone, but there's one component that's missing. There's one particular component that is missing. These people did not walk in the sense that they manifested a growing godliness in their walk with Christ that they profess. And again, we're not talking about a, 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 you know, a mistake here and there. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? We're not, we're not 
talking about a Christian who struggles in their faith with their own besetting sins of encumbrances and stuff like that. We're talking about those professing believers whose walk is, I mean, is literally a mirage. It's a mirage. There's no living water springing up to eternal life. And so the question that we should ask ourselves is, any of that, does any of this, any of the things that I'm saying describe any of, of, of you here today? <laughs> Dare we profess Christ as Lord yet deny him by our deeds? I'm talking about the totality. Please understand me. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the totality of our lives. What does the body of work, what does your body of work say to God's people? What does it say to those around you? You know, so great is the heart of God through Peter that he fervently, fervently begs God's people. He says, look, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Abstain, abstain, abstain. Hold yourself away from fleshly lusts. Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. Don't make a confession of faith without possessing the faith, right? Don't make a, a confession of faith without possessing the faith in your life. Don't be like the false teachers who despise authority. Don't be like the false teachers who are daring, self-willed. They don't tremble when they revile angelic majesties, reviling where they have no knowledge. You know, false teachers, they stress. <laughs> Just look at the. Just watch TV. Just watch. Just look at what you see on TV. False teachers stress rights. They stress freedom and promise liberty. They stress the right to live how they want to live. Their false teaching begins incrementally, but sooner or later they will be fully manifest for the false teachers that they are. You know, I remember, I remember talking to a man who said that he was Yahweh. I'm not kidding. I was talking to a man that said that he was Yahweh. And then he said that God told him that. <laughs> and so my response to him was, well, prove it. <laughs> prove it. Prove it. But it was so manifestly obvious that this guy was a false teacher. And my, he tried to justify it so. This, this was here. This was here. You know, others are not so obvious. Well, not right away anyway. In my former church in Maryland, we had a group come into the church who seemed orthodox. But over time, it slowly became manifest that they held to a kind of doctrine of perfectionism. Perfectionism. The men who held to this belief were really, they were very daring. Self-willed, let alone the fact that the main leader was, a, he had quite the temper. <laughs> Anyone see the irony in that? They took a number of people out of the church and they then the group itself eventually turned against one another, and then it sort of fizzled out. I mean, that, that's what false teaching does. It filters in, and it affects your thinking. And what follows one's thinking is their what? Their behavior. Their behavior. And what's even more peculiar about these false teachers is that they, <laughs> they revile angelic majesties, reviling where they have no knowledge. I mean, what in the world does that mean? Ever wonder what that means? These, these ministries actually existed back in Peter's day. And they're around today, actually. And you just have to know where to find them. You will find a good number of these individuals. Uh, unfortunately, in the charismatic movement, 
They make exorbitant amounts of money with their so-called deliverance ministries, damning demons and supposedly binding them and casting them out when they have absolutely no apostolic authority whatsoever to do those things. It's all a mirage. The the, the deliverance ministries, all that stuff, all of it, it's all a mirage. Let Let me just give you an example of this. In Scripture, because you had deliverance ministries even in Jesus' own day. Do you remember what happened to the seven sons of Sceva? You know, they're in the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 13 through 16. Remember what happened to those individuals who actually encountered a person who was demonized? Remember that story? What actually happened? And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus. And I know about Paul, but who are you? (laughs) And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued them all, all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. In other words, you go ahead and try messing around with the angelic realm and see where that will take you. Nevertheless, arrogance knows no bounds with false teaching. I mean, just how high-handed can false teaching go? Well, it can get so bad that even the holy angels who are greater in might and power do not, do not, they don't even bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. In other words, not even in the holy angels' exalted position do angels make the kind of judgments against their fallen counterparts. They don't even do that, but these false teachers do. But the holy angels, they don't even dare. Why? Because of the God who created them. They don't dare bring a reviling accusation. False teachers do. They're daring self-willed with their deliverance ministries. In other words, I mean, false teaching is a downward spiral. It will take you down with it. What does your life and doctrine say about you? In the height of false teaching, it just knows no bounds. And we know what happened to Satan when he attempted to dethrone God himself. He was cast down. Remember that? And so too would these false teachers be. You know, some false teachers are obviously on display. Some, some of them are just quite obvious, but some of them, it just, just, takes, it just takes some time. You know, it says the sins of some men are quite evident, right? Going before them, the judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise, the deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. That is to say, we can't hide who we really are before God and others. In other words, eventually, your life and doctrine will, you will give an account. You will give an account. Some are obvious, and they're gone right away, while others come to light later, and God begins to providentially shine more light on their false teaching and their character. False teaching is always in conjunction with character. Always. Always. Once False teachers come to full fruition there, as Peter described, as it's, it's absolutely frightening, animalistic, like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. And Peter is comparing these false teachers to beasts. In other words, you can't, the idea is this, you can't reason with these people. That's what he's saying. You can't reason with these people. You, you, you can't reason with them because they're so, they're so self-indulgent. This is essentially the point of no return for false teaching, for false teachers. 
And what's the point about Balaam and the talking donkey anyway, right? <laughs> Balaam was trained in greed and immorality. He was a rank false teacher who repeatedly aided in the, in the cause of getting the people of Israel to sin. He was on his way to curse Israel when his donkey was halted in its tracks because the angel of the Lord stood in front of them. And so Balaam became, began to senselessly beat the animal. Senselessly. He had no idea that there was an angel in front of him. The man was simply mad in the sense that all he wanted to do was get to Israel. He wanted to get to Israel to do what he needed to do to make his profit and be gone. But the only point that Peter is trying to illustrate here for us is that Balaam was bent on pursuing falsehood rather than obeying the God of Scripture. If, and if it's not left in check, if it's not left in check, the old man of sin has a sure end result. It will lead to your doom. It will lead to your doom. We're talking eternal doom. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. This is the end result. This is the end result. If a person continues down a path of falsehood, they are destined for destruction, and in their destruction they shall be destroyed. So, what do we say, or what can we say about these things in closing? What does your life and doctrine say about you? What does it say about all of us? So I would hope that may God help us to stay by his grace on the straight and narrow way. Lead me safely on by the narrow way. From the shores of time to the realms of day. By the cross of Christ may I ever stand as I journey on to the better land. With a shepherd's care through the night and day, keep me close to thee, lest I go astray. Lead me safely on by thy tender love through this world of sin to my home above. Through the storms of life, mid the ocean's foam, lead me safely on to my heavenly home. At the fount of life on the other shore, let me freely drink till I thirst no more. Oh, Lord of heaven, thank you for this morning you've given to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to stay on the straight and narrow. Lord, I am thankful for your word and your people. We are thankful for your word. And I pray that you would uh, help us, Lord, to be apropos to what the, your word says and to live by it. And Lord, should we stumble and fall, I pray that your very people that you've called by your grace would pick us up, help us to stand on the straight and narrow way. May light enter into our hearts once again in the whole, Lord, so that we may see the path that is set before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.